Hello, and welcome to Wands and Fronds, the weekly podcast that covers magic, houseplants, and more. I'm Shannon. And I'm Nick. And we are your co-hosts. So today, I'm going to be talking about everyone's favorite delicious monster, the Monstera Deliciosa, and also, uh, you know, kind of MBD, but Rhiannon. Oh, wow. Uh, and I, in a related story, am talking about the Fae making your own fairy garden and some questionable practices involving the little people and a social media site, which you, you can maybe guess by the time we get there. Uh, <laughs> right. And I do want to just say at the top that it might sound a little different this week. Um, Nick is going through snowpocalypse 2021 in Texas. Yes. It's very, uh, very interesting here. Uh, all of my, Professional recording equipment is across town, and uh, I am here on my home laptop making the best of it, making the best of it. And uh, I also, I'm very lucky to live close to a hospital and be one of the, uh, you know, 50% or so of people that still have power right now. So, yeah, I mean, my uh, Eric's grandparents, my partner's grandparents had to go stay with his parents because they were without electricity for 36 hours and they're in their late seventies. So not cool, Texas. Yeah, really. Uh, yeah. Having your own power grid because of some kind of weird, like post Confederate idea that you might one day secede from the union kind of bite me in the ass right now. Uh, yeah, that's not working out so hot in the moment. So anyway, all that to say, I'm so glad that Nick was, able to like, you know, make it work to where we could still record this week. So, you know, just bear with us. We're both like on the internet. And so there's some lag. And if things sound a little funky, or, you know, it seems like there's some weird spaces between us, just, you know, it's 2021. It's the technology. We love you guys. We're trying our best. <laughs> right. Um, so I'm starting off with my topic this week, which is the Fae, which is a natural choice for me for several reasons. Uh, the most on topic for the episode is that Shannon is covering Monstera on uh, giving us some deets on uh, after this. And uh, but it grows on the, the long stems and vines, which leaves plenty of opportunities to put little elements of a fairy garden down in the pot, uh, which is nice for all the apartment dwellers out there who do not have a yard. Uh, and off topic, uh, I just got a kitten who is named Faye. Uh, that's F-A-Y-E, um, which is definitely partly inspired by a conversation Shannon and I were having about this topic, and also Faye Dunaway, who killed it in Mommy Dearest. Oh, I just wanted to hop in real quick, Nick, and say that Faye is a perfect specimen of a little kitten, and Oliver is being such a good kitty daddy. We'll have to post pictures when we post the episode. Oh my god, yes, because Oliver, I mean, I have I have literally made it my life's work in the last two weeks to document um, they spoon, he, like, gives her little tongue baths, he's, like, the best dad, and she's so cute. Uh, and also, living up to her name, she's very mischievous, uh, which I'm actually going to get into that here in a second, uh, but before that, I also read a tweet recently which I would love to give credit for, but even using my best detective skills in the search function, I could not find it again. But it said that uh, all Virgo Risings have pixie slash fairy energy, 
And I personally felt really called out because I've actually heard that a lot, especially during my pink and purple hair phase. Um, I also like to put flowers in my hair when it's long and I'm drunk or on a happy mushroom trip. So uh, the thing... I mean, you also love to put flowers in your hair anytime. Like it doesn't, you don't also have to be drunk or on a trip. I have totally seen you go full like flower decor in your hair just cause on a Tuesday. Just cause on it. I mean, you know, cause it looks nice. Sometimes you see one and you're like, I want that in my hair. <laughs> I know it's, and it is true. It's so beautiful. And that is like, well, you'll talk about it a little bit more, but that's also such big fairy energy to see something pretty and be like mine. Mine. Um, yeah. So, uh, you know, Virgo rising energy, Nick energy, um, also, and I've actually talked about this before, uh, my, my little local folklore. So uh, near my house, there is a literal bubbling spring with moss and boulders and a cliff that looks like something out of a Shinto shrine. And I always see the most interesting birds around there. And if anywhere has fae in my local neighborhood, I, I just know that that's it. I know that that's the spot. Um, but onto a little history. So there's a lot of really good stories out there uh, about the Fae that uh, mainly come out of Ireland. And so one of my personal favorites that I came across, so a lot of them involve food. So the one of my favorite ones that I came across was the one about the Green Lady. I believe this one comes out of Yorkshire. And it was a, a, a farmer. He's out tending his fields. And he hears a butter churning noise, which, you know, I caught him off guard. Uh, but he was very thirsty. He was stricken with an incredible thirst. Uh, and the green lady, wearing this beautiful emerald green outfit, uh, offers him a glass of buttermilk. Delicious. But he's like, whoa, 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 crazy green lady in the middle of my field churning butter, offering me buttermilk. I... I'm suspicious that you might be a spirit and uh, I'm going to, I'm going to turn this down. I was going to say, I feel like that's just like good life advice. Like don't take buttermilk from randos. Uh, okay. But listen, listen to the rest of the story here because this green lady who it turns out actually was a fae is like, okay, well within 12 months time, you'll never need another drink again. And he died. He died within a year. Um, oh, fuck. So actually, uh, a lot of the stories about the Fae do involve food, and so that's a really famous example. But then also in the old Irish folk tales about the Fae, if you go into the world of the fairies, you're not supposed to eat food in there at all. And so there's an, a different story about a young girl who goes to work as a maid for a lady who it is suspected is one of the fae. And she gets told by fish in, in the well that she's drawing water from to never eat the food in the house, uh, which it turns out she does. Uh, and she gets, basically, you either become a fairy or you get trapped in the fairy world forever. Either way, no one ever sees you again. And so if you go to the fairy realm... You're not supposed to eat food, but if they offer you food here, there is a similar story uh, about the buttermilk where they offered um, 
a farmer like a bowl of oat porridge because he was so hungry and uh, had a long day of work ahead of him. And he, you know, he was like, I'm not going to take food from fairies. Thanks, but no thanks. And then, you know, something terrible happens to him. And uh, they, they do not like when their hospitality in our world is turned down. But you're not supposed to eat the food there. So a lot of the, a lot of the legends involve food. Uh, but the modern idea does come from multiple European sources and folk legends and represents something of an amalgamation. So all, all those ones I was just saying are more the UK and Ireland specific. Um, but of course, ancient Greek and Roman mythology is absolutely riddled with sprites and nymphs. And you seemingly couldn't throw a rock in ancient Greece without disturbing some flavor of nature spirit which kind of evolves into these other pantheons with gnomes, goblins, fairies, leprechauns, like these mischievous little little wood spirits and, and nature spirits that are just everywhere. Um, so in Scandinavia, they, they have the gnomes, which are uh, said to protect your home and bring good luck. Uh, they make little houses and furniture for them. And of course, this is different from the gnome that developed in Southern Europe during the Renaissance, which is kind of more like a, like the Harry Potter gnomes, like they live underground, they're kind of like mole people, or like garden gnomes. Uh, those are Southern European gnomes. Uh, the, the Northern European gnomes are kind of more like elves or fairies. So I think that's more of a more of a related thing. And then of course, in Ireland, you have leprechauns, which are very, very mischievous and tricky. And very, very related to the the folklore of the Fae. I mean, in the the Celtic traditions, it's like leprechauns and fairies and pixies are are kind of seen as like different versions of the same thing. Uh, and so they're kind of they're shapeshifters uh, a lot of the time, and, and that's part of their trickster nature is that they can change shapes to uh to play their little tricks on people. Um, but the the United Kingdom and Ireland also seem to be the origin of the the classic fairy we think of today with the wings and you know they all have the very natural naming conventions and of course one of the real og depictions of fairy legends can be found in shakespeare's midsummer night's dream and that is all about fairies and the tricks that they play on people um, and they are shown as being heavily connected to nature and having uh some of them, like Puck, choosing chaos and trickery, and others choosing a more neutral path. And that comes up a lot with the Fae, is that they aren't really like the fairy godmother from Cinderella. Uh, that's more of a, a, a sort of a nice retelling. So even, even the good ones are really more neutral, and they, they will help you if you help them, or if you're kind to them in some way. Uh, it's it's transactional... Uh, but a lot, but they like to cause trouble in the human world for their own entertainment. Um, so the whole Midsummer Night's Dream—they're like really messing with these people who were lost in the woods, and you know, trying to like break up these lovers and get different people together. And then there's a love potion that's going around that causes lots of trouble. Uh, very, very entertaining. Uh, and um. <clears throat> So Old English demon manuals describe fairies as spirits that are like a neutral fallen angel. So not quite demons, definitely not angels anymore. The story goes that God closed the gates of heaven, 
during the whole Lucifer debacle, and everyone who wasn't back in time just got stuck on Earth. Um, and of course, okay. the one, yeah. Can I just say, where do I get my hands on an old English demon manual? Uh, these these are the questions. Uh, actually, so uh, King James of the King James version of the Bible um, wrote the what is it, the Maleficum, Maleficarum, oh, the, or something? Yeah, the Maleficarum. Um, oh gosh, it's the because it's it's what is it? It's the um, it's like the hammer of witches or something like that. Yeah, I think it's yeah, Maleficus, Maleficus Maleficarum or something like that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. The 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 hammer of the the hammer of demons or something, and so that's probably the most popular one. And that's oh, it's Malleus Maleficarum, and it's it is it's hammer of witches. Hammer of witches. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And uh, so you know, it's like that's that's a really popular one that's been reprinted a lot of times. Um, and but also caused a lot of the witch hysteria that led to witch trials all over England and Scotland and even the colonies and a lot of people died because of that book. So, uh, <laughs> that's a, that's a hell of a yada, yada, yada. <laughs> right. Um, <laughs> a lot of people died because of that book. Uh, but so yeah, fallen angels potentially, uh, who chose to not be demons, but, uh, you know, didn't really take, take it seriously enough to, you know, go back, to heaven and just kind of got stuck here and yeah so neutral uh but you know painting with broader strokes almost every folk tradition in the world has stories about wild little spirits who are sometimes helpful and sometimes tricksters uh you definitely see analogs in Taoism and shintoism in east asia uh there's actually a sort of goblin-like creature that's said to live in the Andes and would push boulders down on people. Um, you, there's infinite local variations across South America and Africa with um, shape-shifting animal spirits, uh, tree spirits, all you know, all these things, which to me, I, I think represent like one phenomenon. Um, that's that's my kind of like lukewarm take. It's it's not an original take, but uh, I kind of see it as as that. Um, so in my own practice, I definitely see the Fae more more in that kind of Eastern way. In that, what I perceive to be the Fae is like the local spirits of the trees and the flowers and the streams and the boulders. Like uh, it's like you know, unless your house is haunted, these would be like your local spirits. Um, yeah, that makes sense. I mean, because I have told you, and I, I don't know who else I've, I don't know if I've mentioned on the show before, but there's like, I've gotten this very strong sense since I've lived in my new place that there are a lot of fae about, and I'm, I kind of ascribe to a similar, a sort of theory that they're very much like nature spirits, which makes sense because where I live has so much more nature and plant life than anywhere else in Los Angeles, really. Right. And, you know, it's kind of like my roommate calls this uh, sort of woo-woo. Uh, but, you know, sometimes you can just like see a tree or like a perfect mossy rock in a stream that just has special energy. And yeah, that that to me is the fae. And actually, the root word of fairy or fae uh, in, in Old English and Old Celtic uh, was interchangeable with the word enchanted. Ah, 
they would describe uh, a character as the the fairy queen or you know the fairy knight or or something like that um what they do, they do not mean that this is a tiny little person with wings uh in that context they mean enchanted like these are enchanted people so i think uh that is kind of you know that enchanted energy that you sometimes just pick up on in nature to me very much represents uh what i feel to be the thing um so uh but in you know more broad modern pagan practices the fae are seen as part of the spirit realm just in general which we come into closer contact with during uh Samhain and Beltane especially so when those uh the walls between the spirit world and this world are you know just paper thin uh that's that's when the the fae are going to come out the strongest uh as well um yeah and for me i just have my personal experience has been that around the time of the new moon is when i tend to feel more you know sort of like activity from the nature spirits and i'm not entirely sure what that is but that's just been my personal experience right and so um we kind of wanted to do a fun way to engage with this in your own practice uh which is to create a fairy garden because while they can be quite the little tricksters they can also bring that good luck and help protect your home like in the, you know in the norwegian way if you invite them to do so so for starters the fae love sparkly things and the idea of a fairy being sparkly goes back as far as the fae themselves uh and you know going back to the midsummer night's dream uh the queen titania is said to be wearing like a like a spider web cloak like glittering with morning dew and it's supposed to be very shiny and sparkly and shimmery and um but the fae love sparkly things um uh, so putting out some sparkly stones shiny little buttons um little silver bells like that kind of thing uh is definitely a must um yeah and i wanted to hop in and just you know eric and i have been looking for sort of a project to leave out for the fae because you know i know you'll talk about offerings and stuff later we have a lot of children around and um you know toddler godzilla who is always breaking things plus a possum so we were trying to think of something that wasn't you know, eatable that we could leave out for the Fae. And in a couple of weeks, we're going to go to some of our local metaphysical shops and pick up some cute, like sparkly uh, crystals. And we're going to build like a little like mobile slash wind chime out of them. Things like pyrite and moonstone that have good like luck and positive energy drawing effects, but are also like pretty and shiny and sparkly and will make the Fae happy. Yeah. And um, actually, so one of the things that I think is good if you uh are not like crafty like that to make uh like a mobile is to do a uh a fairy ring so part of the the old legends is that when you come across a ring of mushrooms in the forest that is where the they have been the night before um so yeah doing like a fairy ring um with glass Beads, perhaps, would be good. You know the little flat ones that you can get for aquariums or, like, you could put them in a pot with flowers? 
Ah, oh yeah, those like the aquarium stones, those, I know exactly what you're talking about because they come in all sorts of pretty colors too. They come in all sorts of pretty colors. You know, you could make a ring out of those uh, and make your own little fairy ring. I think that would be nice. Uh, but it's not all about, you know, glitter and shiny stones and all of that. Uh, the fae are nature spirits. So anything you can do for the little creatures in your yard is going to be a boon here as well. Uh, so growing your flowering plants for butterflies and bees, setting up a bug hotel, uh, refilling your bird feeder, and, you know, just making it a nice place for all of the animals. Because the Fae are notoriously friends with the little creatures. Uh, and sometimes they can turn into little creatures. Uh, that's definitely part of all the legends. Um, but definitely known to be friends with all the little creatures. So that's going to help. That's going to help here as well. Um, and also, you, you know those little uh, bee, the little bee waterers, where you could put marbles in, in like a dish of water so the bees can land and have a drink? Oh, I love that. You know, nothing is stopping you from using nice, shiny little stones to make it like a combo to be part of your fairy garden, but also give the bees water. Oh my God, that's such a good idea. Um, kind of a, along that lines, a random funny story is I was working at a different museum a, like a year or so ago and we were having a board meeting and I was outside and I was like greeting the board members that were coming up but I found a grounded bumblebee. And so I had like gone inside to get like a little thimble full of water and had like put a rock in it and was trying to help the bee onto the rock. And one of the board members walked up and thankfully she was the one who was like a little hippy dippy compared to the others because the very first time I met this board member, I was literally like squatting on the ground, like in my like skirt suit, trying to like help a bee into a bottle cap. Oh my gosh. Uh, iconic. So you, we know why the fae love you. Uh, but of course, it, when you're making a fairy garden, you know, those are all great things to just have in a garden. But you cannot forget your tiny little houses and tiny chairs, which are the funnest and cutest part of doing a fairy garden. Yes, they are. Uh, of course, this would be a very, very fun time to get out the hot glue gun and do some crafting. But if that is not your forte, there is a literal shit ton of Etsy shops that specialize in this kind of thing. Yeah. And my, might I suggest if you have a Target nearby, Target's like dollar section often has like cute miniatures that are perfect for things like a fairy garden. Exactly. And then also I was going to say there's a very popular movement right now for um, like very intricate dollhouses. Uh, I mean, I, I'm sure everyone has seen Hereditary, or most people have seen Hereditary, but that's actually a thing that people are into, is like the very intricate little dollhouses. So if you're not on like, like a pagan shop shopping for fairy garden-specific stuff, you could also just like go really like do your personal taste, you know, get like a little mid-century furniture and you kind of kind of kind of do it up you know i mean it's your it's your garden uh <laughs> but uh but yeah this would also be a fun task to delegate to a child if you have any of your life uh any in your life um so uh you know it's like maybe also you have a child who is not such a small child anymore and they probably have some little little chairs and stuff that uh, you could repurpose. Um, but 
for all the apartment dwellers out there, we did not want to leave you out. So a nice way to get this vibe is to put a mini fairy garden in the pot with one of your lankier, stimmier plants. Um, of course, keeping in mind with that, the materials will potentially get watered with your plant. So uh, maybe this would be a time to use, I know they have a bunch of really cute stuff for aquariums that won't leach chemicals into the water on the way, way through. Um, and so you don't run the risk of uh, maybe leaching something nasty out into your soil. Mm, that's a great tip because you do want to be careful. And and something else I've seen some people do is finding like pretty shiny little plates if their plant is big enough, because then you can kind of like build the stuff on top of the plate. So it's like easy to pull out. Oh, exactly. Yeah. Like a little, um, oh my gosh, like the little thing you put the pots on would be good. Or yeah, even just like a little saucer from like a broken teacup um, would be nice. Uh, but but yeah, you know, it was like they make the little houses and you could even get like a little tree with a swing. Like the, anything you can imagine, they have in miniature form for aquarium decor, which I just love. Um, I have also seen for indoor fairy gardens, putting the little little swing on, on the branch of your bonsai or if you have a plant with enough of a canopy to hang a little swing from it. Oh my God, that's so cute. I have a juniper bonsai and now all I want to do is put a little swing on it. I, I mean, and it's great because it's like, you know, you don't have to go out and do anything in your yard. You know, you could make this a strictly indoor thing. Um, and then also if you're like a strictly succulents on a windowsill plant parent, which is very respectable and very fine. Um, maybe you could set up your windowsill as your as your fairy garden, and so you can put out your little little coutrement between between your little succulents and kind of build it up that way. Um, so that brings us to this. I, I feel like I just want to preface this again. It's like we really are not trying to hate on Gen Z and younger witches. Like, we all went through embarrassing phases with our craft, and I think it's just, it's good to acknowledge that here before I move on. And I, I do have to say, though, that I am firmly hating on the Gen Zers who have decided to come for the side part and the skinny jeans. They can fuck off. The rest of you are fine, but any of you that are on that train, kindly see the door. Although, you know what, actually, this is a good time uh, just to get, like, a little political for one second. I know that's not what this podcast is about, but whatever. I co-host this podcast so I can say what I like. Um, <laughs> I think it's very interesting and um, very auspicious timing that we seem to be making strides toward at least being more aware of racial injustice and, you know, fighting more for equality for our queer brothers and sisters and, you know, all of our all of our non-binary friends and like everyone is seeing this like more open community forming. And then this generation war stuff kind of comes out of the woodwork. And I would say who benefits from people being split up into groups, our capitalist overlords. I'm sure there's something to that. Uh, 
Yeah, I mean, maybe. I think it's also just like such human nature because every cycle goes through it. And it's just so funny because I, uh, I, so as an American studies major, one of my favorite things was when we went back through and read all of the hilarious, like, thought pieces that were written about how shitty kids of the day were throughout time, um, which is truly delightful to hear people talking about kids born in the 60s and 70s and calling them the me generation because all they care about is navel gazing and therapy and like thinking about themselves and not the greater good. I'm like, and yeah, and those people, those people who got shamed for caring about themselves a little bit turned out to be monsters. Um, (laughs) But (laughs) it is it is very funny and i do have to say like i in all seriousness i know that it's like not a real thing but you can pry my skinny jeans from my cold dead hands some people do think it's a real thing and i'm just like y'all literally people will always find reasons to make people be in separate groups and it's it's just interesting how silly this one is uh and how much how much airtime it's getting I like. I think yeah, that's I think, why like, there's someone is pushing this from behind the scenes. Not to be a conspiracy well, theorist on it, but I I think it's probably. I mean, my take on it is that it's more likely because we're two of the first generations that live so easily online, and so we're able to have a type of dialogue that wasn't possible between generations before. Because like sure. you know, in the past it was like think pieces released in like magazines or newspaper, and now it's like. You know, they, you can get on TikTok and like, you know, spit fire at the other generation. So I think I, I, I tend to think that that's probably just more what it is. Cause you know, it was like last year, the whole thing was like, you know, your Harry Potter house isn't a, isn't your personality or something like that. Um, so I think it's just the internet blowing things up. Oh, all that to say, I fucking love my skinny jeans. I look so stupid in regular like flare or boot cut jeans. My legs are too short for that. Yeah, I saw I saw a young lady earlier this week in I shit you not bell bottom pants. Yeah, I I can't. I look like six inches shorter. I was like skinny jeans look dumb, but that's fashion. Okay, um, right. I'm like you're all just dressing like boomers, silly kiddos. I mean, and we were just dressing like you know we wanted to be Audrey Hepburn, so we've all been doing it, but. <laughs> But all of that, all of that to say, we don't hate you, but um, witch talk. Uh, so this is like probably our third shout out on questionable witchy practices, dealing with witch talk. And, uh, they, you know, they decided to hex the moon. Um, you know, they, they push a lot of that uh, channeled love message stuff on TikTok. And uh, they also decided to hex the fae. And I also yeah. on Twitter as well. Um, dumb. Yeah, it's just like, why? It's just, well, because, I mean, it's like, literally, the the spirits in folklore that are the most known for being mischievous and playing tricks on people, and, like, being tricksters, and you want to fuck with them? Like... yeah. And it's it's so easy to just, like, upset the fae without trying, So it's like, you know, you don't have to do that much to get them on your bad side. Right, like they offered the dude buttermilk and he declined and they killed him. Yeah, yeah. 
So I, I agree. It's just like big dumb. It's, you know, be nice to the Fae. The Fae are very great and they can be super helpful. You know, I've I've had a lot more experience with the Fae since I lived here. You know, it was like maybe a year and a half ago, I had a very vivid dream about being given oak seeds by a Fae and I was given 13 oak seeds and I was supposed to plant trees. And then the last tree like ended up somehow I dropped the seed and it grew out of my stomach. And it was a very bizarre dream. But after that dream, I started feeling like I was getting a lot more, I was noticing the Fae a lot more around this area. And like, literally all you have to do is like not be a dickhead and keep things clean. That is something I think we should mention. The Fae, the Fae really appreciate you keeping your shit tidy. Yeah. Ooh. And one thing I actually did not mention earlier, uh, as far as like things that you can leave out as offerings for the Fae. So since the Fae are magical creatures, um, one of the things that came up in all of my research was to leave out any herbs that you would use to do spells in full amounts for the Fae. Because the Fae the are seen in almost every folkloric tradition as natural magicians. So anything that you would use, they could use to help you. So if you're, if you're casting a spell and you get some herbs, leave out a little bit for them. Uh, as part of your fairy garden. Uh, and also honey. Honey came up every single time. Yeah, they love honey. They love milk, which I never have milk around. But if you're a milk person, you know, they love honey. They love milk. They uh, they like the sweets. They like sweet treats. Yeah. So don't, don't hex the fae. Leave them a treat. Okay? Yeah. How about Dude, that? Dude, just... Be fucking chill with people. Like, that's it. Be groovy to each other. End of podcast. That's, we're done. I'm just kidding. Um, well, I, thank you, Nick. I think after this conversation and when we were talking about, you know, our episode plan, uh, today's deity felt kind of like an obvious choice. So it's the Celtic moon goddess, the divine queen of fairies herself, Rhiannon. And I have had Rhiannon by Fleetwood Mac stuck in my head for, you know, weeks now thinking about this. Um, So I do want to start with like a small disclaimer that I do not speak Welsh and I am doing my very best (laughs) at these pronunciations. So please don't come for me with a pitchfork. I promise I'm not doing it to be mean. Uh, It's just a tough language. So and I am going with the Rhiannon like Americanized pronunciation. And I know that's like not quite correct but if it's good enough for stevie nicks it's good enough for me so (laughs) rhiannon is um she's a welsh goddess and we actually know a lot about her from they're the three books of the welsh uh, mabinogion and they're often referred to as like the three branches so our introduction to rhiannon is one day uh who is the lord of the kingdom of dyfed was sitting on this mound. It's like this magical mound that is supposed to have you either see something majestic or potentially something bad will come to fight you. It's kind of a weird, apparently this mound is like a known factor. Anyway, so Will is sitting here. It has very big fate energy though, because it's like chaotic and you could see something great or you could see something monstrous. And, uh, you know, it's like, that's how... In all of these legends that I read, it's like you, you, it's really a mixed bag. You never know what yeah. you get with the Fae. 
Right? So so Puyol's sitting here, um, and he sees this gorgeous woman dressed in gold riding a white mare, and that, of course, is our leading lady, Rhiannon. And so Puyol chases after her, but no matter how fast he rode, he couldn't catch her. And it looked like she was just you know, sauntering about on the horse. It didn't look like the horse was, you know, making a great effort, but he still couldn't catch up to her. So, you know, every day he does this for a little while. And finally, one day, Puyol calls out to her. And then she stops and turns around and she's like, why hadn't you asked me to stop before? Like, she was mad. She was like, you should have thought about this. Like, it's not good for your horse. Like, why didn't you just fucking ask? Because, you know, fucking men seriously like <laughs> sick burn Rhiannon yeah um it's like god forbid you just ask her right you know so of course because it is an old folklore tradition uh Rhiannon wanted uh Rhiannon was asked to marry him and she actually agreed because it was going to get her out of this other arrangement with this guy named Gual. Uh, and there's a lot more about him that I'm not going to get into, but like the name alone, Wall, I wouldn't want to marry that either. Yeah, it, so it Puyol, doesn't you know? It's like it doesn't have a ring to it. Like there, no. you know, it's like those invitations would not be aesthetic. It's like you know, you make a little sign for your door. It's like Rhiannon and Wall. And Gual. I mean, it's also, it's, names are so important. It's the reason I'm glad that Rachel Brosnahan didn't take uh, her husband's last name because Rachel Ralph doesn't sound cute. Right. Um, so Quill, of course, is like, sure, I'll like, I'm totally down to help you get out of this arrangement. And they're at a wedding feast at her father's court. And this unknown man comes in and asks Puyol to grant a request because that is like a thing you could do. And Puyol was like drunk and having a good time. So he was like, of course you can, I'll grant you a request. And of course the dude is Gual and his request is Rhiannon. So yet again, fuck men. So again, Rhiannon, because she only can trust herself, hatches a plan to just fucking fix this. So of course, she holds a second wedding feast for her marriage to Gual, and there she tells Puyol, enter the hall dressed as a beggar and, you know, place your request to Gual, and your request is going to be that he fills a certain small bag with food. And Rhiannon enchanted the bag so it couldn't ever be filled, like, by normal means. So, so she tells- The original bag of holding. Yes, exactly, exactly. And so, you know, of course, Wall keeps putting stuff in it and it won't fill up. And Rhiannon's like, well, maybe you should like step in the bag to control the magic. Uh, and then as soon as he does that, of course, Puyol's men like come in because they've been surrounding the hall and they like close up the bag and they start beating him and kicking him until he agrees to relinquish his claims to Rhiannon. Um, wait, 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 so they put the dude in a bag and they <laughs> beat the shit, they beat the shit out of him while he's in the bag. Yes. <laughs> they made him into a pinata. Good plant. And he's in there with all the stuff, too, so I'm sure that can't have been comfortable. Right? He's in there with all that food he was throwing in there, trying to get the bag to fill up. Um, so Rhiannon and Puyol, though, are finally married, and Rhiannon gives uh, birth to a son, Prideri. And one night, when Prideri was three days old, the nursemaids who were in charge of watching him fell asleep. Uh, and when they woke up, the baby was gone. And of course, they fucking panicked. So in their panic, logically, they killed a puppy. 
they proceeded to smear Rhiannon's face and mouth with its blood and scatter the bones around her. And then when she woke up, it was like, where's my baby? What the fuck's happening? They told her she had gone on a rampage and then killed and eaten her own son. Oh my, so wait, wait, wait. So they framed her with the puppy. Yeah, they, and they were like, they framed her. They were like, this is your baby. You ate it. Yep. You ate your baby, you monster. So they're dicks. Um, so a bunch of people in the court, you know, are calling for like Puyol to divorce her, but you know, he decided instead to have her serve penance. So she was ordered to spend seven years sitting at the city gates every day. And when anyone came up, she had to confess her crime and then offer to carry them to court on her back. Um, like you do, I guess. I don't know. I feel like that would be a weird offer to accept. So... Anyway, meanwhile, uh, a nearby horse lord, uh, Tiernan, had a gorgeous white mare that gave birth to a foal every May Eve, but the foal always vanished. So one year, he says, enough's enough, fuck this. So he decided to keep watch inside the stable. And just as his mare gave birth, a huge clawed hand reaches into the window and grabs the foal. So Tiernan hacks off the hand with his sword and the foal is saved. And he ran outside to capture, you know, whatever the fuck this is. And he found nothing. But when he returned to the barn, he discovered a beautiful baby boy. So what a twist. Uh, Of course, like you did back then, him and his wife just adopted surprise baby. So after a while, Tiernan starts to notice that the baby looks an awful lot like Puyol uh, and apparently was displaying some sort of supernatural powers. Uh, And since everyone knew the story about Rhiannon allegedly eating her baby, because I imagine that news would travel pretty fast, (laughs) uh, Tiernan, (laughs) right, Tiernan did everyone a solid and returned the baby to his parents. So after that, Rhiannon was exonerated and again took her place as the queen. And there are a lot of other stories about her, um, but this is really like sort of the foundational like origin story. Uh, And there's also some interesting debate about whether or not she's actually a quote-unquote goddess so some of the things that we have to like consider is like when she first appears she is of course like a mysterious figure arriving as part of like the other world tradition of Gorsed uh, Arbeth and the Gorsed or Mound of Arbeth is where Puyol you know is sitting that's the mound uh and like I said that mound is considered a mythical place and that's where someone will sit and see a marvel and he saw Rhiannon and apparently the color of her horse is also really important in like old storytelling uh because white or pale horses are common like other world mounts you know like fairies are actually seen riding white horses a lot um in Sir Orfeo the fairy king is actually like accompanied by a bunch of other world knights that are all on like white horses so you know, it's kind of a theme that we see. That's another place where the tide of the Fae comes in with her. And then like some other figures from this like British slash like Welsh literary tradition, Rhiannon actually could be a rebirth of an earlier Celtic deity, which isn't super uncommon in this like tradition. Um, her name is derived from the reconstructed Britonic form of Rigatona, which is a derivative of Rigon or Queen. Um, and in the first branch of the Mab- Mabinogi, I'm sorry, I'm really trying with the Welsh, um, which is, you know, that story we just shared. Rhiannon is actually uh, strongly associated with horses. They they talk a little bit more in some of the later tales about her close tie with horses. Um, and so is her son, Pradary. And she's also considered to be related maybe to the Gaelish horse goddess Epona, 
you know, if anybody is a Zelda fan out there, Epona is actually named after an old horse goddess. Um, and while this connection with like Epona is generally accepted among like most scholars, uh, Ronald Hutton is a historian of paganism and he's actually like kind of skeptical. So there's a lot of things here that are really like never cut and dry. And, you know, Rhiannon is also connected to three mystical birds. This is giving me Pokemon vibes. Three mystical birds. What is it? Uh, right. Uvia, Moltres, Articuno. <laughs> yes, exactly. Lugia is the second gen legendary bird. Do go on. Uh, the birds of Rhiannon uh, appear in the second branch uh, in the triads of Britain. And in one story, the giant uh, Isbadadin demands them as part of like the bride price of his daughter. And they're described, these birds are described as like, they wake the dead and lull the living to sleep, which kind of sounds like they have the ability to kill and raise the dead. Um, and this is another place though, where we actually see some of that connection to the earlier like goddess of Celtic polytheism. So when I see this, I always, I'm really interested in looking at the way that sort of like goddesses evolve throughout history. And to me, you know, kind of like you were saying earlier, Nick, it doesn't, it really doesn't diminish their value. Because when I see that, instead of seeing it that, you know, these are like made up human inventions, like, to me, it just shows that there are these like really important threads of, you know, sort of connection to the divine that run throughout history and like keep calling us back over and over and over again across the world. You know, it's like these stories don't die, they evolve. So something deep inside of us seems to be drawn to like a certain archetype of gods and goddesses. And that connection to me is what is so potent magically. So Rhiannon is traditionally worshipped. Wait, I just want I just want to jump in here and kind of go back uh on that as well, because it's like um it's kind of how I feel about stories in the Bible as well. In that each culture and each like generation of people is trying to put the same ideas into the context of their own culture and their own time. And so if you kind of reverse engineer that, it's like any spirit that was trying to visit a human would appear to, to them in the way that would make the most sense to that person. Yeah, no, it totally makes sense. It's kind of the reason. Uh, so th there's a very similar thread of thought among people that like believe in aliens and the way that humans have interpreted seeing aliens and alien spacecraft throughout history. Um, because there's a lot of, you know, evidence to point to that sort of evolving. And part of that evolution has also been related to things like media. Um, so I, I think that there's a lot there's a lot there and we've seen it happen in other, you know, in other ways. So of course it's like, we're all looking at things sort of through the lens of our own experiences. Right. And I mean, you know, it's like, if, I mean, th think about it this way, if you were a powerful entity and you were able to like go through d all these different time periods, it's like, you wouldn't appear to someone in modern times, in the same form that you use to appear to a Viking. Yeah, exactly. They they wouldn't understand it. It wouldn't compute. So, I mean, you know, so it's like, uh, and if you were going to appear to uh, someone in Athens, which is a very civilized place, or if you were going to appear to someone in an unincorporated part of the empire, you know, like, let's just say... Uh, you know, wherever Spartacus was from, uh, it's like, 
there's a it would be different they would there yeah. different expectations no totally I, I I mean I totally agree um, so if you want to worship Rhiannon, you know, through your modern practice, you know, traditionally she's worshipped in a grove of trees on an altar made exclusively of forest materials. But, you know, if you can't do that, store-bought is fine. Um, <laughs> you can decorate your altar with objects, you know, made of wood or stone, pictures of horses or birds, white and gold candles, bouquets of live flowers, or, and the way that I do things, even your favorite houseplants. And she is associated, of course, with the element of earth and the number seven. And the plants that are associated with her are basically anything with a white flower. Uh, Rosemary, sage, narcissus, pansies, uh, cedar, pine, um, and then incense of like lavender, geranium, narcissus, sandalwood, bergamot, neroli, uh, crystal quartz, bloodstone, silver, gold, cat's eye, moonstone, uh, amethyst, garnet, ruby, and turquoise. I feel like, I feel and like the- moonstone needs a shout out here, though, because it's like she's oh, yeah. the goddess of the moon. So if you're, oh, yeah. if, if you gotta pick one, moonstone's probably a good way to go. Yeah, and I think that if you have a limited crystal collection, moonstone also is like very effective at a lot of stuff. So it's kind of a good early addition to your crystal collection. Um, And then the colors, of course, are like white, silver, red, gray, dark green, you know, kind of foresty colors like maroon, black and brown um, and gold. So if you want to work with Rhiannon on spells, um, some suggestions are, you know, spells to bring you prophetic dreams, maybe helping you like remove or move through sort of a victim mindset, uh, improving your patience. And also, of course, like uh, she's a great guide for her work on like forgiveness and injustice. Like her story is a perfect example of it. And I recently read a great quote by Lily Tomlin. Uh, and she said that forgiveness means giving up all hope for a better past. Wow. I love that. Yeah. Right. And I just, I really, I, that quote just really like hit me in a really nice way. And and I do think it's important to remember that again, forgiveness is for you. It's not for the person that hurt you. And, you know, of course, sometimes forgiveness isn't appropriate or possible. And in those instances, you know, working to just accept the truth of what happened and move forward is, is more than enough. So when we say forgiveness, I'm not saying that you need to like, you know, absolve people of any responsibility. That's not what I mean when I'm talking about forgiveness. I think it's about, you know, moving through accepting the reality and like taking the weight of whatever happened off of your plate because it's not yours to carry. It's like that thing they say, it's like drinking poison and waiting for the other person to die. (laughs) Right. Yeah. So I do, I do love that. And I love Lily Tomlin because, um, you know, like not really confirmed, but I, I strongly suspect that Lily Tomlin is a very powerful witch. I mean, she is in my heart, so I think that's good enough. Um, uh, my sources. I don't, I don't here... want to confirm or disconfirm it. Like in my head, <laughs> it's real. It's true to me. Miss Frizzle is a witch. Yes, it's called 1, the magic and... school bus. Okay. Yeah, the school bus was actual magic, but in my heart, Lily Tomlin is a witch. It's the school um, too. So my... Um, my sources for this though were the sacred wicca website wikiwand.com which is really fun and then a youtube rabbit hole so now i want to move on to kind of another icon uh have any of you met instagram because if so then you know all about monstera monday and i love this plant like 
Monstera Deliciosa is an amazing houseplant if you want something that makes like a capital S statement. Like I've actually seen some interior designs where they don't have a lot of plants in the room. There's just one big ass Monstera and it's like there's they can be so big and so structural that they can really stand on their own, um, you know, literally as like artwork as well as a houseplant. So of course, I'm really solidly in like the more is more camp with houseplants. So I would never just have one, but if you want just one, you can do that. Uh, of course, the most iconic thing about these plants is their fenestrations, which is where, you know, the common name, like the Swiss cheese plant comes from. Uh, and honestly, like, I don't know what it is, but something about the name Swiss cheese plant just really bothers me. Yeah, but this not um, like something I would want to buy at the store. Yeah. Yeah. No, not at all. Um, and They've also sometimes been labeled like split leaf philodendron, which is totally a misnomer because they're not a philodendron. Um, I guess I should say the the fenestrations are the holes in the leaf. And the fenestrations actually only develop when the plant is more mature. So if you buy a juvenile plant, you're going to have to wait for some of like the big showstopper leaves until it's a little bit more established. So these, like so many of our favorites, are in the Araceae family, which includes things like you know, philodendron, diffenbachia, aglionema, caladium, epipremnum, like lots of things that you have in your home. Uh, and the way that these all are sort of like categorized in this family is they all have um, monocotyledonous flowering or the flowers that are on the spadix. So the best way to think about what a spadix looks like um, is to think about like a peace lily. So, you know, you have that bract and then the spadix is like the thing that kind of looks like the little baby corn cob. And that's actually covered in baby flowers. So, well, I, oh my God. Yeah. The, the baby corn cob. Okay. Baby corn cob. Baby corn so cob. plants and <laughs> plants in this family do contain um, calcium oxalate crystals, which is why they're poisonous to pets and people. So like, don't eat your house plants. Um, <laughs> the Monstera deliciosa is actually native to Mexico and Panama. Uh, and its young leaves will attach, like they'll grow towards the darkest part of a tree base to sort of help them find and attach to the trunk. And then the plant like climbs up the tree towards the light canopy and so the reason a lot of people think they've developed sort of their, you know, the trademark fenestrations is to help keep the leaves from being damaged in like wind and rainstorms. Oh, it's like, a, it's like aero, aerodynamic. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. And in nature, these bad boys can grow up to like 20 meters tall. Uh, and the leaves grow up to about a meter long, which is just fucking huge. But indoors, a lot of them will top out at a measly 10 feet, uh, which is still quite considerable if you give it the room. Um, but when they're in the wild, they also produce a fruit called the Mexican breadfruit that apparently tastes like a mix of banana and pineapples, but it's really almost impossible to get them to fruit as houseplants. Uh, so probably not something to think about, but it also, I guess this is like a corn theme. The, the fruit does kind of look like, like scaly corn on the cob. It's weird. Um, so in the 1700s, this plant first came into like cultivation as a house plant in England for its foliage. And then in the greenhouses, they would also, you know, use the, use their fruit. Um, but I think most of you are probably most aware that it was really like an icon of design in the U.S. in the 70s. So like if you watch any movies or TV from that era, you will almost certainly find a monstera in the background of the shot. Like it's, it becomes a game. Once you start noticing house plants, like you can really tell the period of when something was made by which house plants they have uh, in the background. 
And then, of course, Instagram happened, and more specifically, what is known as Plantstagram. And then there was this huge renaissance. Uh, so the care for these plants, though, the good news is it's pretty similar to what you'll do for other members of the Araceae family, um, also known as like the Arrowids. So they're epiphytic, of course, because they like climb up the trees, right? They're not exclusively growing in the soil. So you'll want to make sure you have really well-draining potting mix. I I will um, amend my normal household potting mix with like uh, orchid bark and a lot of perlite just to make sure that the water is able to really like move through it. It's, you know, if you think about it, these are climbing up trees. So they're getting their nutrients from like rainfalls and like a little bit from the tree trunks, but they really are, you know, they're designed to like pick up water as it comes through and then go sort of through a dry period. So they do like moderate watering. You're going to look for like the top inch or so of soil to dry before watering it. But do keep an eye out for root rot because it would be like tragic if you had a more mature plant and it got root rot. And the things that you can see with that are like yellowing spots on the leaves that'll feel a little mushy. Your plant will be droopy even once it's been watered. If if you do get root rot, you know, you've basically got to go into like triage mode. And at some point, maybe we'll do an episode where I just like talk about trying to rescue plants from root rot. Uh, I've had mixed success with it, but be careful. Don't, don't overwater. When in doubt, hold back on the water. Um, and a lot of people on Plantstagram sort of preach about putting them in their showers, but I, I really don't recommend that because if you have like a new leaf unfurling, you know, it's still kind of in a tight coil. And if you get water in the, that coil, it can actually rot the new leaf before it opens. And I actually just had this happen to me a few months ago because I had brought it into the shower to wash off all the leaves and, a, and some water had gotten into a leaf and it just like totally turned black and rotted. And my entire plant is like fine and healthy. Um, so don't do that. Don't do what I did. I haven't done, I haven't done another shower since then. I just like, you know, take it into the sink or the tub and water it at the base and then get like a wet paper towel to wipe off the leaves. So you, um, you, and it's you like you would do with like a normal plant. Like you just water the base, uh, and you don't need to yeah. take a shower with it. Yeah, exactly. And, and wiping down the leaves is like the perfect time to like check for pests. Um, you know, it's, do the top and the bottom and you you should be dusting all of your plant leaves because they can't photosynthesize through dirt so you know clean them um these are great candidates for moss poles because they do like to climb naturally and your leaves will get bigger but just remember they're pretty fast growers and you're gonna need a big ass moss pole that's very strong to just be prepared for that is that um, they, those are the ones that they plant uh, pothos on, right? Or am I am I wrong? Yeah, no, no, that's uh, exactly. You can make your own by buying like a piece of pipe and some like sphagnum moss or cocoa coir and wrapping the pipe and then wrapping that in chicken wire. Um, or you can buy them online. They're pretty easy to DIY. Just know that if you put one in a monstera, it's going to be a thing if you ever need to up pot it. It's just something you have to deal with they will also like grow and spread so there's there's plenty of options for it you know i, but, I was thinking it's funny because i'm i'm thinking about this pothos plant um i don't know so you know my dad works at an airport and um it's at a very small terminal that has not been updated since the 80s and they have these huge things the little sticks that the pothos grow on what did you what did you say that was called they're called moss poles. Moss poles. But they're like big and square. 
and it looks like the 1980s called and they want their their plants back uh (laughs) it's interesting that they have the pothos on those though because i'm you've probably noticed that when they climb up those um poles their leaves get bigger than the ones you see in the hanging baskets yeah yes yeah. So because they're climbing, they, you know, in nature, these things are climbing and looking for light. So as they climb, you know, the leaves get bigger because they're able to absorb more light. Um, and another way that you can actually tell with really anything in the arrowhead family is if it starts um, reaching towards darker places, that means it's not getting enough light. And I forget there's a scientific name for what it is. But essentially, they'll start leaning towards the darkness because they think that that might be like a treetop that they'll be able to get into the light with. So that's kind of a weird thing to be on the lookout for. Like if it's not happy and not in a place where it's getting enough light, it might actually start leaning towards the darkness. So I love these plants. Um, Of course, they do. You know, they like the classic bright indirect light. They are growing along the floor of jungles and nature and up trees. So, you know, they like dappled light, but direct light will definitely cause leaf burn. Um, And they love humidity. So if you have a humidifier, you know, maybe a few days a week, it'll, it'll be happy to have an extra boost. But honestly, they're fine with average household humidity. So like, don't buy a humidifier just for your Monstera. Um, and and something you can think about if you don't have, you know, if you don't have a humidifier and maybe you are somewhere like I am where it gets a little drier, is if you look at grouping your plants, you can kind of create little microclimates. They like, you know, they enjoy each other's moisture and, you know, the stuff that the plants are putting off. So that's sort of another way to think about it. But just make sure that like, If you're grouping your plants, leave room for Jesus, because if they're all like touching each other, like with their leaves, that's also um, a real easy way. If you have like one spider mite for it to get on all of your plants. So and spider mites are no joke, people. Uh, It's (laughs) not even once, not even once. Right. Um, And they uh, shockingly, of course, you know, being native to places like Mexico, they don't love freezing weather. So if it's dropping below like 55, 50 degrees at night, I would just like pull them away from any drafty windows. Um, And they are really vigorous growers. Like I literally am looking at two new leaves opening up on Guillermo right now. Um, so a good household fertilizer during the growing season will be appreciated. You know, plants that grow really fast tend to be heavier feeders, but, you know, just dilute it to about half. And if you can, I do really suggest, this is just sort of across the board for your own like health and safety. If you are able to, I think looking into something more natural, like worm castings is always preferable for fertilizing as opposed, as opposed to things like miracle grow, just because like, I don't know. I don't trust the big chemicals that they put in the miracle Grow fertilizer. Um, I, I basically like to say it's like if I wouldn't eat it, I try not to put it on my plants. Uh, you know, just because like if I wouldn't eat something that grew in it, why would I want my poor little house plants to grow in it? And you can actually like buy Almost big kind of bags like, of um, when you're looking at the ingredients in your pet's food, and it's like, is this something I would eat? Yeah, because exactly. For your babies too. Yeah, these are your little babies. I I really try to fertilize all of my plants the same way. Like if I wouldn't put it on my bell pepper plants that I plan to eat, I'm not going to put it on my Monstera. And that's just um, 
you know, that's just one of my personal philosophies. And you can really get great stuff online. Or even honestly, if all you have access to is Amazon, you can get bags of worm castings on Amazon, like that are not super expensive. So I definitely suggest it. Um, And with Monsteras, though, something to keep in mind is you're going to need to pot them up probably once a year. You're going to want to wait to pot them up until you see roots sort of like popping up out of the top of the pot, or if there's a bunch coming out of the drainage hole. But if you do want to keep your plant smaller for longer, you can kind of just hold off on repotting for a little bit. And if you notice like just a few straggler roots popping out of the drainage hole, one way to sort of try and like put off the repot is to like pull the root ball out, add in some additional soil at the bottom and then repot it. You know, that that can sometimes buy you a little bit of time. I just did that with Guillermo. And then, of course, like, there's another root popping through. So I'm going to have to repot him in something deeper. I've been trying to put it off. But, um, you know, terracotta is a great plant pot here. It does keep a lot of, like, oxygen around the roots, which I think for epiphytic plants is really helpful. But it also helps prevent root rot. And root rot, I... I know I talk about it a lot, but it's because it's like the number one way people kill houseplants. And me too, I've done it. Like I have killed houseplants with root rot. And that's just, that's the reason I talk about it all the time. I'm just trying to like save y'all like half of the heartache that I've had over the years. So uh, the great thing is if you have- I have to say that's probably how I have killed most of my plants as well, is like overwatering and creating- the right conditions for, for root rot. Yeah. And, you know, I think that it is the biggest problem with like most plants. It's because it's really easy to do. Um, and, you know, especially depending on the type of container you're using. And it, it takes just so much like experience to figure out how to avoid it. And, you know, I prefer to do the finger test for watering because I trust, you know, that the way I feel things is better than, you know, any sort of like, I've seen people get like water meters and stuff, but I've heard a lot of like really mixed stuff about them. Like some water meters are apparently like really wildly off and they've caused some like heartache. So if you have a hard time though, with like, you know, maybe you don't have great feeling sensation in the tips of your fingers. um, You can actually get like those wood uh, chopsticks you get with like Chinese takeout. You can take one of those and like stick it into the pot And then where the chopstick starts getting darker, you'll be able to see where there's still water in there. Because when those like those cheap wood chopsticks get wet, they do get a little darker. And so that can be a good hack, though, if you if you need to. Um, But if you're able to, I think that like getting the feel for it is probably for me the easiest way to tell. Um, But again, I understand that not everybody is able to do that. So cheap Chinese food takeout chopsticks are like next best thing. Um, I I mean, I just really like uh, that you're adding that, though, because I definitely know a lot of people who are close to me, you know, like my sister or my mom, uh, have neurological problems that prevent them from having, like, full feeling in their hands and fingers. We stand accessibility. It's very important. I, you know, we all have varying needs. So if I ever miss out on some good tip though and y'all have any suggestions like definitely let us know we're always here to like share things that make stuff you know make plant and magic more accessible um but if you do want to share your plant uh i think that one of the great things about monsteras and really the eraceae family in general is they're so easy to propagate so you're gonna look 
for a leaf node and you're going to cut right below that and then pot it right up into soil or you can put it into water to propagate if you like. And what a leaf node is, is essentially you're going to be looking for, it almost looks like a joint on the plant where there's like a little bump. And sometimes that bump will eventually turn into a full on aerial root. And sometimes when the plant's younger, it won't, but you'll be able to see it. It literally looks like a finger joint is the best way to kind of think about it. Not like, you know, obviously not super bent, but you'll see there's a little bend in it. And then usually like a brown or green bump. And that's usually where the leaf note is. If you're ever in doubt, just like email us a picture. I'm super happy to like take a look for you because I know that is something that takes some experience to figure out where it's at. Um, But they do really great in like water propagation. They look beautiful. Um, If you want to like take a few cuttings and like do water propagates on like, you know, your dining room table, that could be like a lovely centerpiece. And it's great to share them with people. And actually those, um, those water propagations can last. Oh, yeah. Yeah, they can last a long while. And, you know, if you're some people move them from like water propagation into hydro or semi hydro with LECA, I haven't had good semi hydro experience. But I do think, you know, propagation stations are beautiful. Um, And you can also think about doing some root division if your plant gets bigger and you don't want to keep potting it up forever. Um, A lot of times the way that most uh, nurseries do it is they'll put like six or seven little seedlings in one pot to sort of make the plant fuller. So as the plant matures, sometimes you do have to like pull it out and pull it apart, but it's pretty easy. You know, Monstera roots are really big and hardy and white. And so they're really easy to spot in the dirt. Mm. So, you know, when you're, you can kind of like pull them out a little bit easier. Not like my pitcher plant, all of the roots are like dark brown. So it's like impossible to see them when you're trying to pull them out of the dirt. But luckily, these ones are real obvious. Um, so on the magical side of things, like for me, I find that plant care in and of itself is really an important part of my practice. Um, and for that, I use uh, my Monstera is actually the centerpiece of my altar. And I decorate the bottom of the pot with different crystals. Guillermo is legitimately like, he has his own energy. Like he has this big spirit and I really use it to like ground and center me. And like he, to me, he feels almost like a guardian on my altar space. And I, you know, tenderly take care of him. I love him very much. He's named after my favorite character from What We Do in the Shadows. Uh, So shout out. That actor, I think, was actually the first LGBTQ plus Latino actor to get nominated for, I think, I forget which award show it was. Sorry, living in LA, there's so many award shows. It's one of those things. But he, that actor had a really, like, cool historic nomination. And I don't remember which award show it was for, but he totally deserved it. Love him. He was also in uh, The Magicians, so um, Which, we stand uh, him. If, for everyone out there who did not already know this, me and Shannon are huge stands of The Magicians TV show, and also the uh, books. I love the books as well. Um, slightly different telling. Uh, I'm not. I don't want to give any spoilers, but yeah. We're huge fans. We're huge fans. So anyway, that's Guillermo is named after that character from what we do in the shadows, though. And I do really I feel like with my plants, I, you know, I do anthropomorphize them a bit like they all have names and they all have sort of their own personalities. But to me, that is like interacting with them is part of my magical craft. And so 
you know, doing things like getting into the soil when I'm like checking for the moisture and like washing his leaves. And, you know, it's, I am at the point in my plant care journey where I go through and I don't even touch the soil all the time when I'm looking for whether or not a leaf, uh, whether or not a plant needs to water, I can actually like touch the leaves on most of my plants and I'm really familiar with them. And so I can feel when the leaves start to get a little, um, a little thinner. And it's like, those things sound, I guess, maybe kind of silly if you're not into plants. But for me, like as a green witch, like that is part of me being my magical self every day. As I go through and I like, yeah, it's like, you know, I touch my plants. I talk to my plants. Like Guillermo is the head bitch in charge of all of my plants. And he keeps trying to pop out of this pot. And I'm going to have to continue potting him up until he takes over my entire life. And that's okay. I'm prepared for it. You'll just have a whole Um, apartment that's just Guillermo. Yeah. And I think that houseplants are a really great way, you know, as green witches that don't maybe have a bunch of property or don't live somewhere with easy access to nature, you know, you can get houseplants like really cheap. You know, I've seen some people find some steals at like Walmart. And I think that if, you know, do what you can do and what makes sense to you and what works for you. If you have the means and the access, local nurseries are great small businesses to support. And, you know, they often are much more affordable than you'll, than you think they would be. Um, and sometimes they even have better prices than big box stores. I, I do have three different kinds of Monstera. So I have my Monstera Deliciosa. I have Guillermo. Um, I have a Monstera Adansonii whose name is Nadia. I have a Monstera Siltipacana, whose name is Laszlo. You might be noticing a theme. Um, and then I also have a Monstera, or not a Monstera. I also have a, a Raphidophora tetrasperma, which some people call a mini Monstera, but it's actually a, a different type of plant. So anyway, those are the type of Monsteras I have. But all of that to say, my Monstera Siltipacana is still considered a pretty rare plant. And I got it for $12 at my local nursery. So it's like, it's a small plant. It's not a mature plant. But that was so much cheaper than if I had like tried to go on Etsy and buy it. So I also just want to like remind everybody, it's like, your local nursery is not necessarily going to be that much more expensive, or in some cases, even more expensive at all than going to like a Lowe's. So well, support and the them when thing you can. To on there too is that when you go to a local nursery, you can see that the plants are healthy. You can pick an individual out of uh, what they have there. And so you know you're making a good decision. Whereas when you uh, buy something from online, uh, a lot of times they just have one picture of the type of plant that it is. Uh, And so there really is no shopping, you know? And it's like, as plant people, I feel like that is so important because I could go to Walmart right now and I could go to the garden section and I know that uh, some of, like, let's just say uh, I go to look at the Echeveria succulents. They are all the same price. There's a whole tray of them right by the door. And probably about half of them are not worth taking home. Uh, Probably a quarter of them are not, are fine health-wise as far as parasites and mold, but uh, not very aesthetic. And so if you can't pick it out yourself, uh, it's, it's different. You know, it's like, it's, it's maybe even worth paying a few extra dollars to go to the store, support a local business, 
and get to pick it out yourself. Yeah, and it's I, I from personal experience, I have I ordered a Calathea Ornata that I was really excited about from this Etsy shop. I'm not going to like name drop, but I got it and it seemed all right, but then literally it died so quickly that something had to have been, you know, either it happened in shipping or the plant wasn't healthy. Now it's finally coming back. But the other plant that I got from there at the same time, it was like a Calathea rattlesnake also declined really rapidly. And those are the type of things where like, you don't necessarily have a lot of, you know, there's not a lot of recourse for you if you order from like an online plant seller, but like, if you have a problem with a plant you get from a local nursery, you can like number one, call them and they'll be happy to like give you advice. But sometimes they also know that like shit happens. And so you can have a much more open dialogue. Um, and you can also ask them for advice on plants that are good for your space. So I just, I can't recommend it enough. I've had some great finds and honestly, I have often gotten stuff cheaper at a Mickey's. Mickey's is my, the local plant shop I go to shout out. Um, Mickey's often has stuff that's like so much cheaper than it is even at like a place like Lowe's or Home Depot. So just like check out what's around you. Um, my, my resources I used, uh, Plantarina's YouTube. If you're a plant person, she's truly delightful. Uh, plant daddy podcast on the ledge podcast, bloom and grow radio, uh, monsteraplantresource.com. And then of course my lovely Guillermo himself has given me so much experience to share. Oh, I love I love uh, that you name all of your plants. And so uh, we are kind of coming up on the end here. But before I do the tarot scope for the week, which was a real doozy, um, I just kind of wanted to say that I think something fun that we are going to be able to do coming up is um, redo the plants on my patio. Um, so oh. I, I would maybe just like to do that uh publicly as part of the ones and fronds podcast because um only one of them um was able to come in and be on top of the fridge with the new kitten and oliver being a notorious plant eater so right now i probably have about nine plants that are frozen in snow and dying um oh, yeah I'm totally down. I think that would be a lot of fun. So I think it would be a lot of fun. Uh, I think we could do like a full survey and like really buy based on cat friendliness um, for bringing them inside during snowstorms, which is apparently something I have to worry about now. Um, But also I kind of want to just say, so Shannon, you went to my apartment that I lived in last year and you saw my plant window and how well everyone was doing there, right? Yeah. So I just want to say I am not like a plant killing monster. Oh yeah, no. I can totally vouch. Nick is Nick is not a plant killing monster. Nick is just in a very different living space now and that changes things. It's like I used to have this really nice window that stuck out of the wall uh and had windows on three sides and it was like a little greenhouse in my kitchen. Um, And so everything did really well in there. And I put my shady plants under my sun loving plants and I had different levels and it was um, 
really nice and everyone was doing really well and now and then i moved them to my patio at my new place because i had to because i i have one cat who is a uh famously a plant eater uh and has uh gotten himself sick uh which is why i know all of the plants now that are bad for him uh and that's why they're all outside because none of the plants that i had in that plant window it turned out were safe to have around a cat um that likes to eat plants so um so yeah we're and i yeah i get it i also my cat samson is a fellow plant eater he uh it's and it's hard it's hard when you have a pet that does that and yeah i can just just to reiterate i realized nick thank you for pointing this out nick is very good with plants if you had not listen to anything other than this podcast, I guess you might not know that. And that is definitely like, he is a good plant parent. Things have just changed a lot in his new place. And he needs like a new game plan as well, because I used to have that again, that beautiful window uh, where all of my sun loving plants and my succulents were very happy. And uh, so also just to say something coming up is I think it would be kind of fun to get uh, maybe other people's input. Uh, and see what we're going to do for my very low light apartment slash shady patio. And I think that'll be fun um, for people in similar situations. Um, but also, um, you know, maybe see what we can save. Uh, so that'll be like a fun, yeah. like a fun little project for us to do on Instagram or something. But and, and your your balcony faces north correct? Yes. I believe that is what we yeah. thought with the compass when you were here. Yeah. Yeah. So um, for anyone who knows plant stuff, North is like the toughest thing. So, you know, I think if you have any good suggestions, I have some ideas, but we also want to hear from you. So please like send them in. We'd love to hear what you guys think. Yeah. Because this could be like a whole thing. We could like redo my patio because I'm at this point, we're on day three of the blizzard here in Texas. And again, only one of my plants was okay to bring in, um, not only for its uh, sentimental value, but also because uh, it likes to be up on the fridge. Uh, and that's that. there's only room for one. There's only room for one plant up there. <laughs> um, so we save, we, we save the one we could save, and uh, I'm about to have like a whole patio to redo. So Ooh, the right way. So. Uh, just something fun, something fun to kind of send out into the world if you have any suggestions for, for low light, like really low light. Because not only am I facing north, there's a tree blocking both of my windows yeah. and my patio. It's like if you want to think about everything that would make it difficult to have plants, Nick is dealing with it right now. So it will be a testament to our community strengths to yeah. come up with a game plan. <laughs> um, but we want to we wanna do the Terroscope. And so this week I got Libra. And so uh, shout out to Eve, uh, one of my very, very good friends who is a Libra. And so who I was kind of thinking of uh, when I got Libra for the Terroscope. Uh, but we got the nine of wands upright. And so this card is telling me that Libra has been through some shit recently. But they're standing strong in their own power after weathering the storm. Uh, and it really represents nothing less than a test of your Drink. So it would seem that lately the universe has thrown every trick in the book at you and you were exhausted and ready to give up. And what you need to understand, all of my Libra babies, is that though this card specifically is that 
at this stage, it's almost over. And if you can keep standing up to all of this immense pressure, you will be having a breakthrough soon and achieve your goal. Uh, so giving up now, after everything you've been through, is kind of a bad idea. It's like you've made it most of the way up the hill. You're so close, Libra. Uh, just keep it up a little longer. And that was the that was the message I got uh, for this week's Terrascope. I love that. I love the nine of wands. I, uh, Nick, this is kind of weird because you keep drawing cards that I've been getting. I drew the nine of wands yesterday and last Tuesday as well. So clearly we're on a wavelength. We're, we are on a wavelength. It's the nine of wands. Uh, you know, so again, you know, it's like, if you look, if you look at the picture in like the traditional tarot deck, it's the guy, he's got all, all of the, bundle of sticks slung over his shoulders and he's exhausted uh and that's that's you right now but you're almost there hmm. so you'll be able to well, to put down the burden soon enough yeah it's like you've reached the top of the hill don't quit it's downhill from here it's e it's gonna get easier it's gonna get easier yeah i love that um <sighs> so i think you know to like everyone out there uh first of all send in some recommendations because i've got you know i've got my little potting mix and i'm gonna have a bunch of empty pots soon so it might be kind of fun to like work on this with everyone uh for my patio um if you want to send us an email hit us up on instagram uh those are it's at wands and fronds pod at gmail.com uh it's at wands and fronds pod at instagram give us a follow send us a message get our address, send us a bag of rubies. Um, you know, if you can, give us a little download. We love a little download. Yes, we love a download. We know uh, for some reason, and this has come up a few times when I just want to like let everybody know, you can't rate and subscribe on Spotify. It's, it's one of the things that you just can't do on that platform, but you can download the episode and Again, it's one of those weird things, but for some reason that matters to the things that do rankings and help us get noticed by other people. So, you know, if you can't rate and review, just just give it a download. Hopefully that's a pretty easy thing for you to do. Yeah. And I mean, you know, uh, we did we did get into the ratings in Norway that one time. You know, I'd love to see that happen again. So maybe not. Yeah, maybe Norway. Not Norway. Bring us back. Bring us back. <laughs> Like, is it because we had, like, a streak of Norse mythology tie-in episodes and then we stopped? Like, come back to us. We love you. Yeah, we still love you. Do we need to talk about Odin some more? <laughs> um, also, shout out to our, like, huge uh, bastion of Japanese listeners. We still have a lot of people from Japan listening, and we haven't heard from any of y'all, but we would love to. Yeah, I mean, I will, I will Google Translate anything you want to send me. Like, I will take the time. I also have a friend who's learning Japanese. This would be like a fun, a fun little um, activity for them. Just be like, hey, I got some fan mail from Japan. You want to help me <laughs> translate it? Uh, <laughs> right. But, uh, but no, oh, well, so, I mean, but if you, if you want to email us, if you want to follow us on Instagram, at ones and fronds pod, at ones and fronds pod, uh, send us a bag of rubies in the mail. I do want to give a shout out to our, uh, our fan, uh, Patricia, uh, who sent us that lovely picture of uh, rubies. Uh, I was, uh, that was, we, very, that was very, very fun. Very fun for us. I know. 
We finally received our first rubies, and Patricia is the first, but I have a feeling she won't be the last. So um, bring it on, folks. Bring it on. And to all of the witches and bitches out there, I say blessed be bitches. Blessed be bitches. Goodbye. Bye now. Daffodils. Oh my god, daffodils, daffodils. Daffodils. What was that? Um, daffodils.